Would you look at that? Damn, I look good. What's up, everybody? It's me, Stephen Money. It's football season, and I want you to know that you can bet on me, the STN Sports app. So sign up today and get started with me, the local favorite. Vegas Nation, sponsored by Station Casinos, STN Sports. Download the app and get a bonus up to $100 when you sign up. You're listening to Vegas Nation. Time to get it started with First and Ten with Vinny Bonsignor and Sam Gordon. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Vegas Nation. First and Ten, your weekly go-to for Raider news and analysis and commentary. Uh, before we bring in our great co-host, Sam Gordon, just want to let you know that Vegas Nation is sponsored by Station Casinos, STN Sports, and presented by Blue Wire. Uh, Sam Gordon, welcome back from the Bay Area. I know you spent a couple of days uh, over there earlier this week at the John Madden Memorial. want to get your thoughts uh, on all that. But before we get to that, we have a Super Bowl champion. Yeah. We have a conclusion to the 2021 season, and uh, it's already on your mark, get set, go to start the 2022 season, which really begins now uh, as the Raiders and teams across the NFL fill out their coaching staffs and start making decisions and plans for the draft and free agency. It never ends, Sam. Um, uh, it's just a, a whirlwind always. Yeah, it certainly is, Vinny. Um First and foremost, congratulations to the Rams, right? They were they went for it. They put all the chips on the table, and it worked. It worked. And, and they were – I mean, it was exactly kind of the, the, what we talked about. I thought that game um, in the second half was really won in the trenches, won by the Rams in the trenches where the Bengals just needed to put together one drive to – to, to put that game away, and they couldn't do it because of that pass rush, because of Aaron Donald, Von Miller, um, and those guys that we talked about going to the game. So it was an absolutely unbelievable game. Uh, I thought it, there was kind of, of course, those lulls in the in the third quarter in terms of action, but it was always competitive, very high drama, uh, very intense. And I wonder, Vinny, as we talk about transitioning into this offseason, how, if and how the Rams' aggressive approach in building their team might affect the way teams are built moving forward. There's there's a number of ways you can skin a cat. The Rams, you know, did it their way. They were aggressive in free agency. They were aggressive in the trade market. Um, they 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 had to kind of compensate for the lack of draft picks they had at the top of the draft by by emphasizing player development and getting guys that other teams may have gave up on. And, and it worked. And it worked. For, they they got their ring. And and I wonder, are we going to see more of this from other teams? moving forward, especially in an offseason like this where you have, you know, so many moving parts and potentially so many quarterbacks that can be on the move. And it's just it feels like we're transitioning into a different time in the NFL where there's going to be more mobility. And and I, frankly, I, I'm, I'm intrigued and I'm, I'm super interested in how that takes shape. It's interesting you should, you should say that because um, there weren't there couldn't be, have been two polar opposites uh, in terms of approach and uh, the way they built rosters, uh, how they spent money, how they allocated uh, assets than the Cincinnati Bengals and, and the Los Angeles Rams. Um, you know, it was you're talking about the Bengals who are historically kind of a frugal team. Um, obviously, they, they uh, captured lightning in a bottle by drafting Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and some of the skill players that they have. Um, you know, and they also added a couple of key free agents, uh, moderately paced or, or priced uh, during the offseason, whereas and, and drafted and developed, like you like you said, uh, to get to a point where they were able to get to a Super Bowl. And uh, that's one way to do it. Uh, the Rams did it 
kind of an entirely different way. Although, yeah. you know, having covered the Rams for as long as I did, the one thing that they, the, the, the foundation was always about their draft and development. And it, it allowed them, when, when you have young players on, you know, rookie kind of contracts uh, that are playing well and delivering and producing, you can easier go out and get, you know, big time uh, star players here and there uh, to, to populate around that. And you're going to need both, really, uh, as we saw in the Super Bowl. When it got right down to it, Aaron Donald wasn't going to let the, Ra- the Rams lose that game, and neither was Cooper Cup. And those two uh, players, especially Aaron Donald, are, are paid at the top of their position groups. And Cooper Cup has, a, you know, had a nice payday as a wide receiver as well. But, you know, you also look at a bunch of guys, the offensive line, um, some of the uh, the running backs, uh, the wide receivers, a couple of the wide receivers, the tight ends, uh, a lot of players on defense are just homegrown, uh, moderately priced players. So you have to have that balance. But in the Rams case, they've never been shy about using first round picks to go get proven star players and then paying those uh, proven star players. Um, so that approach is a little bit different, but another thing that they do do, which is very much a homegrown kind of a feel to it is at some point they'll let players like Corey Littleton and John Johnson um, and a couple, a few others that just sort of outprice themselves in the whole Ram scheme of things, leave as free agent, collect those, you know, uh, comp draft picks uh, and, and get a payoff for the investment that they made in the draft and development of those players. They also do a lot of trading down. Uh, so while the Rams haven't had a first round pick since 2016, and unless they make any sort of a trade, won't have a first round pick until 2024. Um, and everyone kind of focuses on that, Sam. But the reality is, since 2017, I think only one other team has drafted as many players as the Rams have. That's because they utilize the comp pick, uh, you know, formula by letting you know players leave as free agents, but then also trading down to accumulate more draft picks. So while they don't have first round picks, they've used plenty of they, they have plenty of draft picks uh, on that on that team. So it's just an interesting way that they do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's I mean, the draft is, as we know, Vinny, it's imperfect and it's an, it's an imperfect science. You see guys go in the first round that should go in the sixth round and you see guys in the sixth round, fifth, sixth rounds that play like top five picks. And it happens all the time. And the idea is you want to give yourself as many you know, as many dart throws as a dartboard, right? And if you can hit on a uh, on starters or great players later in the draft, which teams do all the time, it's, it's it happens. It's, it's the Rams have done it. Every team, not every team, but teams do it. You see star players, um, undrafted free agency, you know, all that on a regular basis. Um, they're able to maximize kind of the value that they're able to get down down at, down uh, on the periphery of the draft, and, and you're able to build a team around your superstars. And um, that approach was rewarded and paid off. And 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 I think Vinny, what we saw on Sunday is you saw those superstars. Shine. You saw Von Miller have two sacks. You saw Odell Beckham Jr., even though he he leaves the game with the, with the ACL injury, and we hope that he has a speedy recovery. Um, we see him have an impact on the on that on the, the the first quarter of that game, and and ultimately make plays that contribute to winning. We see how Matthew Stafford is just capable of doing some things that Jared Goff wasn't capable of doing. No disrespect to Jared Goff, who I think became a little underrated in this whole you know, scheme of how the Rams have been really, really good. I mean, Stafford's better. There's no, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and they went out and got him um, as a result and he put them over the top. So it's an aggressive approach that's combined with an intelligent approach and an approach that, 
does uh, value the draft and value late round picks and 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 the efficiency that you can have there. And, and of course, it pays off um, with a Super Bowl champion. And like you said, I mean, what are we a week and a half, two weeks away from the scouting combine? Like it, it does not stop. Now teams are going to, to have to figure out how to adjust on the fly, how they can how they can build and chase the Rams and the other you know contenders that we presume will be back, like Buffalo, Kansas City, perhaps Cincinnati. Now that they have a foundation, know what they need to address. So um, it's it, it's the, the 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 marathon continues for the for for the Rams and for the teams that are chasing. It certainly does, uh, uh, and we've already started. Um and, and seen, you know, the uh, Derek Carr contract extension uh, talk. It, it, it didn't really uh, take too long for that to uh, uh, to come about, and, and rightfully so. You know, Derek's going into the last year of his contract. He's being paid just around $20 million, uh, non-guaranteed um, at that. So going into the last year of his contract um, and, you know, doing some uh, poking around and, and talking to some people. I think it's very, very unlikely that Derek Carr plays this season on that deal. I think there's an extension that will be coming. You're going to see a lot of numbers um, and a lot of ways that it, it it can get done. But I've you know reported and been, been tweeting that I, if, if, if I were fans, I would kind of focus in on a two-year extension – 40, let's just say $40 million could go up a little bit, uh, might be you know just slightly below that. But two years uh, at $40 million per season, that would make it, if you if you added the current deal uh, that's still in place, that would make it a three-year deal at $100 million at an average annual salary of $33 million a year if you factor in the $20 million that he's going to make in 2021. Um, I, that's kind of the numbers that I would sort of focus in on um, if you're trying to you know, draw up a blueprint of what this might look like. Uh, and, and Sam, you know, we all know that in Raider Nation, there's a uh, heavy support group for Derek Carr, but then there's a, there's a group of, uh, of, of Raider fans that, you know, just aren't on board with him. And those fans, you know, when I, when I tweet out those numbers, I think they get fixated on the numbers and the contract and what it's doing for Derek Carr. And, you know, their head sometimes explodes. Uh, but you have to look at this from both sides. If you're the Raiders, locking up Derek Carr makes sense on a bunch of different levels. Number one, you know, you get your quarterback, the most important position on the field, locked in for you know the next few years at a cost certainty price. You know what it's going to cost to pay your quarterback, and then you can make all the adjustments around that to help build out uh, your team. So you'll know, you know, what that number is and what that looks like for the next X amount of years. But also, and that's that's important, um, but also because really just to go back to that thought, because you don't want to go into a situation where, you know, he, he, he walks as a free agent and now you're starting over at quarterback if you don't have a plan behind him. So it gets complicated with that. Uh, however, if after on the other side of things, if after the 2022 season, both sides just feel like or one or the other, whoever you know what, this just isn't fitting, this isn't, um, you know, working out. Uh, and if the Raiders decide to move on for him, or let's say Derek Carr says, you know, I, I just don't want to be here anymore, whatever whatever scenario you want to draw up, at the very least, the Raiders will have a very tradable asset, uh, a quarterback, a good quarterback under control for the next few years at a fairly reasonable price. And I think as time goes on, that even that $40 million is going to look like a bit of a bargain. That's a tradable asset, Sam. That's something that the Raiders can get value for 
in a trade rather than just letting him walk as a free agent. So in the reality, it it protects everybody um, from the quarterback to the team. And that's the thing I think the biggest that, – that's what I think is the most important thing, Vinny, is it, like you said, maintains flexibility on both sides. There, it just – if, if the partnership is with, with Josh McDaniels and the new Raiders regime and Derek Carr is, is great the next couple of years, then you have the flexibility to continue that. If the sides decide that they want to move on and, and that and that Derek Carr wants to change the scenery, then you have that flexibility too. And, and, and it gives you a chance to, to to see kind of how this this partnership is going to go. And I, I for one, um, I, I've, I've said, you know, several times on our podcast that I think Derek Carr is, you know, a good quarterback. I think you can win with him. Look at – Look at how Matt, the, the perception of Matthew Stafford has changed in the last, I don't know, 72 hours or you know month if we want to go back to how the playoffs start. He was a guy in Detroit without the infrastructure around him with, with some of the instability that could not – that had a lot of trouble winning. And, and we knew about the talent and, and stuff like that, but he, he never quite got them over to hump. And he goes to L.A. where there is infrastructure and a good coach in place and a culture and great players on the defensive side of the ball and good wide receivers, and he's more than good enough to win a Super Bowl. So – Am I saying that extending Derek Carr and having the new regime guarantees the Raiders a Super Bowl? Far from it. Not at all. But if Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler continue to build out this operation in a way that Derek Carr has more support, where he has better players around him and, and, and more stability, and there's – I mean, again, stability I think is the biggest thing. Who's to say that the Raiders can't make a, a playoff, a, a deeper playoff run with him? They proved that in, in the most unstable season maybe an NFL team has ever had, and certainly in recent memory – that he got to the playoffs and was within. I mean, there was a first and what a first and goal against the AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals that almost won the Super Bowl. Uh, there's there's still a lot of work to be done, but at the same time, the margins are thin, and you'd rather have you'd rather keep Derek Carr in place, a, a quarterback that's been very among the most consistent in the league. Now you have a coach that might be able to tap into another level of him uh, and get more out of him, and and a, and a front office in place that it knows what its job is and knows the strengths and weaknesses of this team, what it needs to build out. So I'm all for, um, from, from the Raiders' perspective, I think the short-term the short term contract extension makes a ton of sense, and I think that makes sense for Carr, too. And, and you can always reevaluate moving forward. The biggest thing, again, to, to, at the top of my point, it maintains flexibility. Chuck, the 2021 NFL season is over. The Los Angeles Rams champions after a 23-20 victory over the Cincinnati Bengals at SoFi Stadium in Super Bowl 56. Before we get into all the odds and ends, just your initial thoughts on the game and on the season as a whole. Do you come out of the season thinking that the Rams were the best team this year? It was a crazy season, first of all, Sam. I mean, there was a lot more parity, teams that were in, teams that were out, streaky teams. Chiefs were in last place at one point. Um, you know, the Rams had some losses. The Bengals, the fourth team from the bottom on our future book odds, make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, Hollywood ending. You know, I, I guess it could have been scripted where, you know, the Rams get the ball back with under two minutes and, and they drive down the field for the winning touchdown and then have that big stop at the end. So from our end of it, football season is always exciting. It was a great season. The playoffs were probably the most exciting that I can remember in a very long time. And the first time in a very long time, the point spread actually factored in. Uh, to the outcome of the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's, it certainly did, right? I, I kind of got the sense that when they botched, when the Rams botched that extra point, it was one of those kind of things that was hanging over the game. Like you knew um, that 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 point might make a huge difference. And like you said, the point spread factor in the Super Bowl. I want to talk about nearly 180 million bet on a Super Bowl in Nevada. It looked like an overall, you know, pretty big win for sports books here. Just where did you guys have the most success? How much fun was the weekend from from your guys' perspective? And, and just how much um, how much does the Super Bowl mean to what you guys do? It's a 
big part of it, Sam. It really kind of dictates what ultimately is going to happen for the year when you have a good Super Bowl. And you're right. I mean, it was a, it was a record handle. I think the big part of that is the overall, you know, widely acceptance of sports wagering. I think that's a huge part of it. The increased volume in both in-play and props, the continued growth of mobile, um, the restrictions on masks lifted, 100% occupancy in, in books compared to the 50% last year, and the willingness of you know properties across the state to take higher limits. We see that all the time. It just kind of all worked out together. But I think the biggest factor, again, is kind of the acceptance of sports, sports betting and you know how it's so mainstream right now. These props were crazy. They make up a bigger and bigger part. We've got huge prop packets that everybody was grabbing. Everything was on the app. And just the atmosphere, the hype, the excitement in all of our books, I think, was was contagious throughout the properties. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I got the sense, Chuck, that, you know, of course, Odell Beckham Jr.'s injury played a huge role in kind of the way that we saw the game. The Rams couldn't move the ball the same way. But from a betting perspective, I'm sure there were a lot of props involved that he was involved with and of course some some over-unders that he might have affected and whatnot how critical do you think his loss was to the overall outcome of some of the some of the the, the wagers that were made and and how big of a I guess dare I say not necessarily a relief you'd ever see one to see anybody go out but how much did his injury kind of play a role in some of the outcomes on your end it was huge I mean you, you look at before his injury the Rams were moving the ball uh, relatively easy they were up 13 to 3 um it was not a good outcome for us for him to score the first touchdown they bet him heavily. Uh, they bet him in a lot of different props. So um, it looked like he was going to go sailing over uh, the trifecta of him going over 64 and a half yards, scoring a touchdown, and the Rams' win was in play. Um, MVP was in play. Um, so he was definitely involved in that. And I think you look at any team, it wasn't just the the loss of Beckham. I mean, don't forget Higby wasn't there. You had James Woods earlier in the season. He wasn't there. They were really looking at just Cooper Cup at that point. And the Bengals did a great job of kind of clamping down on Cup once Beckham went out. But it definitely altered, I think, the outcome of the game and the pace and the speed and kind of the overall offensive philosophy um, that the Rams had once Beckham got hurt. Yeah, certainly did. Of course, Cincinnati quite can't quite capitalize. They needed to really put together one drive in the second half, and that might have done it. Uh, there was a golden opportunity for them. But at the same time, I think there's kind of a sentiment that, hey, look, this is a young team that overachieved a little bit and is only, only going to get better. That doesn't necessarily mean they'll be back, per se. But you have a blueprint and a formula in place with a lot of young stars. I, I want to go. I want to shift gears a little bit till next year. It looks like you know some of the, the usual suspects on the futures board: Kansas City, Buffalo, the Rams, Cincinnati. Among those, what do you make of of of, of the way the season ended going into next year? And where do you see value? Uh, where do you potentially see value as it pertains to some of the futures? I think there's way more value going into this season, Sam, than than I can remember. I think there's so much uncertainty about the quarterbacks there is probably a good 12 to 14 teams that have a quarterback question mark it's not a deep class of quarterbacks coming out ultimately what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson would Russell Wilson get moved is Jimmy Garoppolo going to go to a contender you've got a bunch of guys in their second year in fields and and um and Trevor Lawrence and Wilson and Mac Jones and those guys and Trey Lance where will they be and the rookie quarterbacks if it's Malik Willis or or if it's um Kenny Pickett where are the, Matt Corral what is their impact going to be there's a lot of uncertainty and I think the biggest question mark is where will Aaron Rodgers play if he ultimately gets moved, um, you know, which I think he still will. You look at the NFC North and you're going to have the Bears and Vikings with new coaches and new GMs. You're going to have a Packer team that's going to Jordan Love and they could lose Devontae Adams as well. 
I think the fourth team from the bottom this year going into the 2022 season is the Detroit Lions. They were a very good team last year who lost a lot of games, but were in a lot of games. I think there's a little value on the on the Lions in the north, especially if Rodgers gets moved. Chuck, we'll get out of here with this. And, of course, we appreciate all the expertise you've lended us throughout the past six months. It's made us uh, – it's it's tremendous. Your, your expertise, your insights have been awesome for our podcast, for our listeners. As we go into 2022, is there – if there's – what are you watching? Is it that quarterback movement, the potential quarterback movement that you're watching the most in the offseason? What are you looking at the most as we veer towards next year? It is, Sam. First, you know, I, I'm, I'm bummed already that this is our, our last show of, this, of uh, the season. You know, already looking forward to uh, uh, next season when we're going to be jumping back on and doing some stuff potentially over the pro football draft. Uh, but for me, it really is uh, the quarterbacks in the offseason. You know, if Deshaun Watson were to go to Tampa, if Aaron Rodgers were to go to Denver, um, if Jimmy Garoppolo goes to Pittsburgh and just throwing some of those things out there, what is the impact? If Russell Wilson gets moved, I think that's the big key. And, you know, we saw it last year. Um, the Rams are about the 10th or 11th team on our future book board at 25 to 1 before the, uh, the Stafford trade. Once that trade hit, they dropped to 10 to 1. Rodgers has said, I'm going to make a decision relatively quick. We're not that far away from the combine. The draft's not that far away. You know, once that decision is made, if ultimately he's going to get moved, I think it changes the entire landscape of the NFL going into next season. It certainly does, Chuck. We hope you're back next year to break it all down with us. It's been fantastic. It's been an awesome season. We appreciate everything. Um, Again, the Rams are Super Bowl champions, but there is a, a lot of moving parts that could happen this offseason. We'll be there to break it all down. We appreciate everything uh, that you did for us this year. Hope to talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> Would you look at that? Damn, I look good. What's up, everybody? It's me, Stephen Money. It's football season, and I want you to know that you can bet on me, the STN Sports app. So sign up today and get started with me the local favorite. I'm glad you mentioned Matthew Stafford. Um, you know, when you look back at uh, what Stafford did this season and what he did during the playoffs, I, I you know, it wasn't like he drove that, tr- um, that, 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 that truck right to the Super Bowl. It wasn't entirely on his shoulders. Uh, and that's, you know that that really epitomizes what football is all about. Very few times are quarterbacks, sim- or you know, is are you going to have a quarterback win a Super Bowl? It never happens, to be honest with you. Let's be let's be let's be frank about that. You need a supporting cast, and his going from Detroit, where he, where he had nothing and won nothing, to going to Los Angeles, where he has everything and won the whole thing, helped win the whole thing really um, sheds light on that. On and and if you watch. Matthew Stafford, even on Sunday against the the Bengals, he didn't have a spectacular game. He did enough to help a good team win the game. And to me, there's not much that divides a Stafford and a Derek Carr. I think Stafford's the better quarterback, but I don't think it's an egregious amount or a vast amount uh, like like we're talking about two different planets. I think they exist on the same planet. Um, And so I think that if you can do the right things around Derek Carr, there's no reason why he can't help get the Raiders to a Super Bowl and maybe even win a Super Bowl. I truly believe that. And look, the the Raiders were a play away from going to overtime against the Cincinnati Bengals 
and who knows what would have happened in, in uh, you know, in, in, in overtime. And not to say that they would have gone on the run to go to the Super Bowl, but that's how close they were to beating the team that did get to the Super Bowl. And that was with no Henry Ruggs, a banged up Darren Waller, an offensive line that still never came together by the end of the season, a running game that, you know, didn't really offer a whole lot of support. It was a flawed team, yet um, much better than they had been in the past. But they were that close with that quarterback. So not too outlandish to think, build a better team around him, do some tinkering and add some key pieces. And this could be uh, a pretty good team next year and maybe one worthy of making a playoff run and going into, you know, uh, deep into the playoffs. Well, I certainly imagine that's the mentality that Mark Davis had, right, when when he hired Davis Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. It was like, look, this is a there's a foundation in place. And he almost said as much, uh, you know, crediting Rich Passaccia at that introductory press conference a few weeks ago in the culture and everything that the previous regime did. But now it's time – to take this thing to the next level. So there's no secret about what the expectations are. And I will maintain that from, uh, you know, from uh, all the job openings uh, around the NFL, right, where you – where there was, what, eight or nine vacancies, Vinny, if, if, if I'm remembering correctly. If you looked at the quarterback in place, Derek Carr was far and away, in my opinion. I think he's a step ahead of, of a Kirk Cousins. He was the best quarterback, the most proven quarterback in place. And like you said, that's the most important position on the field. You solidify that. You build the team around the margins, and, and the Raiders know what they need to do. Again, the offensive line could use another receiver on the perimeter and maybe some depth at defensive back. Uh, then, then you're potentially you're in you're you know who knows you're in the mix. There was a lot more parity, Vinny, than I think we expected in the NFL season in 2021, and maybe that's a sign of things moving forward. Where hey, the Cincinnati Bengals um, were not nobody expected them to, to make this that, that kind of Cinderella run that they had to the Super Bowl. If the Raiders tinker with some things and, and, and get their cars additional support and, and uh, an upgrade in certain areas. You never know what's going to happen, and that's what that's what the new regime is, is tasked with, and that's what we're going to start seeing. We're going to start seeing again all this stuff. The combine's right around the corner. We're only a couple months away from the draft, and the new league year starts what in March. So it's all going to happen very quickly, and we're going to have a much better idea of how they want to build this thing out and, and what needs to happen and what they're going to do to, to to make sure that this is a competitive team moving forward. Absolutely, and uh, since the last time we visited uh, with our audience, there have been some coaching uh, additions. Yep, uh, Mick Lombardi is the new offensive coordinator, thirty-three-year-old uh, former um, wide receivers coach of the New England Patriots. Obviously, coached uh, with Josh McDaniels uh, there. Uh, one interesting fact about uh, Mick Lombardi, as he now gets promoted to an offensive coordinator, uh, he handled the Patriots red zone game planning last year. And why is that significant? Well, the Patriots were seventh in the NFL in touchdown scoring percentage uh, at 63% in the red zone last year. Um, and how that applies with the Raiders, they were 29th in that category um, at you know scoring touchdowns at a 49% pace, uh, percentage pace last year. So Mick Lombardi comes in. Uh, the hope, I'm sure, is that uh, he's going to be able to help get that red zone game planning uh, better because the Raiders have struggled in that area for a few years now, and it's vital that they get that uh, fixed. Offensive line coach uh, Carmen Brasillo, uh, kind of an interesting choice. Another Patriots, uh, former Patriots assistant. He was a co-offensive uh, line coach last year uh, with the Patriots. Um, has only been coaching in the NFL two years. Prior to that, uh, he was the offensive line coach at Duquesne and Youngstown State. So a little bit of a jump uh, for Carmen getting his, uh, you know, promoted to full-time offensive line coach and overseeing the whole operation. Uh, we'll see what, you know, um, 
if he's if he's up to that challenge. Uh, and I think those were the only two since last. Oh, um, I think there was a special teams. Uh, oh, Antonio Pierce. Antonio right. Pierce, linebackers. Right, linebackers coach Antonio Pierce. Uh, obviously, you remember him as a uh, linebacker with the uh, Washington football team, now the Commanders, uh, and the New York Giants helped win. Uh, the Very Super Bowl. good player. Very good player. Uh, and I got to give a shout out to Long Beach Poly, uh, the Jackrabbits. He was their head coach. After he finished playing uh, in the NFL, he took a couple years off. And then he was the head coach at Long Beach Poly uh, for a few years before moving on to uh, Arizona State as a defensive assistant and recruiting coordinator in 2018. Uh, he eventually became the defensive coordinator uh, and associate head coach at Arizona State last year. He comes to the NFL with the Raiders uh, as the as a linebackers coach. Also, um, Jordan or Jason, was it? Uh, hold on one second. Uh, Jason Simmons, the former NFL uh, safety, uh, comes on board uh, as a secondary coach. He'll probably be the uh, defensive pass game coordinator. He joins Chris Ash, uh, the defensive backs coach. Uh, so a lot of teams, Sam, double up uh, in the secondary. One guy kind of has, you know, oversees the cornerbacks. Uh, the other one uh, oversees the safeties, two distinctly different positions, uh, and collaborate on the on the game plan. Uh, Jason last year uh, was with the Carolina Panthers, and he was their pass game uh, coordinator uh, over there. I would expect that that's the role that he's going to get. So uh, some new names uh, on the staff. Nothing's been uh, announced officially. I think that's probably going to happen at some point this week. There's still a tight ends coach uh, that needs to be hired and a running backs coach that needs to be hired. Uh, but as of right now, that's where the Raiders are with their coaching staff. Sam. Yeah, the, the the ball continues to roll as we get closer and closer to free agency, and 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 I, I, I frankly, I, I'm so far based on what we know, I'm, I'm impressed with the staff. Um, Josh McDaniels is putting together. He's got a, a variety of different experiences and perspectives on his staff, and and I think that's kind of what you want uh, with somebody uh, who's, who's who's stepping into his first head coaching um, role in you know more than more than a decade. So, uh, of course, we're we're gonna all see how that shakes out. A lot of it is we, there's a lot of just kind of unknown at this point, but based on kind of the resumes and, and the track records of everybody on the staff, these are sensible hires. Uh, that look to, to bring value to the coaching staff. And I'm excited to see how it all shakes out. Uh, as will I. Um, and I think the Lombardi hire, uh, it'll be interesting to see what he can do, you know, to get that area of the field fixed. By the way, um, the Raiders were dead last defensively in red zone uh, defense, given up, you know, the most touchdowns in the league uh, when opponents got into that side of the field, into that part of the field. Uh, Patrick Graham, uh, the new defensive coordinator, uh, his Giants defense were among the best uh, in red zone defense. And really, Sam, you know, that's what it's all about <laughs> right there. Yeah. Uh, those are the money situations, whether you're talking about offensively or defensively. And at least from the coaching perspective, um, they've brought in, you know, uh, some coaches that have had some success, recent success. Um, in that uh, portion of the field. Yeah, I, I mean, the way the NFL is played these days, I mean, teams are going to move the ball, right? Your, your teams are going to move the ball. I think as a whole quarterback play is better than it's ever been, relatively speaking. I mean, and and with, with the way the rules are, you should be able to move the ball. But can you hold – can you keep teams to three points when you're on defense in the red zone? And can you make sure you get seven? And if the Raiders even improve, you know, incrementally in those areas – they were 10-7 and seven last year. You imp improve incrementally in those areas – uh, and factor in some other improvements, then that, that that could make for another win or two, and all of a sudden ten and seven becomes eleven and six or twelve and five, and you're looking at a completely different 
playoff pathway. Of course, again, other teams are going to be making adjustments. There's so many moving parts at this time of year. But yeah, that is th- those issues. Those is, it feels like we've been talking about the red zone issues for years now, since the, certainly since the team got to Las Vegas and even before that. So those need to be cleaned up. And now it looks like they have people in place that know what they're, you know, that know and, and emphasize those the importance of those areas. Um, not to say that the previous coaching staff didn't, but the results are what they were. So um, that, that I think is, it bodes well for, for the, the program that McDaniels um, wants to build out and what they're trying to do. Uh, absolutely. And uh, we will be here to uh, track every step of the way. Um, we'll be back next week. Um, we're going to start taking a, a, a real, Serious look, um, uh, Sam, at free agency, who the Raiders should retain um, from their own free agents. Uh, we all understand that uh, there's extension contract extensions coming for not only Derek Carr, but Max Crosby and Hunter Renfro. How do they handle that? Uh, who are they going to start looking for outside the building? I would imagine when you look at what Josh McDaniels has done with the coaching staff, um, you know, bringing in obviously uh, Patriot tied coaches, I would suspect that there's going to be some. Patriot players that are free agents that might be headed to Las Vegas at some point just makes a lot of sense. We saw that with, um, you know, Gus Bradley last year, the new defensive coordinator, bringing in some of his old players from the Chargers uh, and past stops. So uh, we'll see if that trend continues. But we will be here to uh, report everything and talk about everything and analyze it all. Uh, Just want to say thanks to all of our listeners. The numbers are great. We really appreciate it. You're why we do this. Sam Gordon, thanks for all your help. Uh, As usual, we'll talk to you next week. And a shout out to Larry Muir, our great producer, for being as flexible uh, as he always is and making us uh, sound good and be on time. Larry, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Until next week, we will talk to you um, at that point. Enjoy the rest of your week and enjoy some downtime without any football. I hate to even say it, but here we are. Uh, It's the offseason now. Uh, So uh, we're going to have to uh, bide our time uh, until next season starts. Check you guys out next week. Would you look at that? Damn, I look good. What's up, everybody? It's me, Stephen Money. It's football season, and I want you to know that you can bet on me, the STN Sports app. So sign up today and get started with me, the local favorite.